Okay, so uh, this afternoon, uh, similar to last week, uh, we have quite a passage uh, to go through as a church family. Uh, and my hope and prayer uh, is that God would take us by the hand and just kind of walk with us uh, through what is quite a lengthy passage. Um, this afternoon's message is titled, Before Abraham Was, I Am. Before Abraham Was, I Am. Um, and we're looking together at John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 25 and continue all the way through to verse 59. And if we're honest this afternoon, uh, this is not one of the seven official uh, I am statements, if there are official I am statements. There's seven statements in John where Jesus says I am, and there's an extra one. This is the extra one. Uh, without question, uh, this statement, however it is that we might view it, um, it's vitally, vitally important for us uh, as a church. Um, it's so helpful that we take time to look at this statement uh, and see how it, how it relates to our own lives. And as we'll see from this passage, this particular I am statement, it does in fact inform and strengthen the other statements that, that we've been looking at or are going to be looking at over the course of the summer. Um, and I know the summer's just about to finish, but next week is our final I am statement. Um, and Neil's going to be looking at I am the true vine from John chapter 15. Uh, and then we're going to be in September and we're going to take some time to look at uh, a series on the church. So for us to understand this statement, before Abraham was, I am, we're going to go back, we're going to examine the context, uh, and then we're going to hone in on verses 57, 58, and 59. Um, but verses 25 through to 56 provide a really helpful backdrop um, to what it is that Jesus says. And the reason for that is that this is essentially a conversation between Jesus and the Jewish people. Um, a conversation that then culminates in Jesus saying these powerful and what were at a time controversial words, before Abraham was, I am. So if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at John 8. I'm reading from the CSB. Um, and the words will be up on the screen. The Jewish people, I said a conversation, it's basically an interrogation. Um, they're interrogating Jesus here, and this is what we discover, starting in verse 25. So John 8, verse 25. Who are you, they questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true, and what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. We are descendants of Abraham. Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. So then, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. 
If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honoured my father and you dishonour me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray again. So Father, we, we just recognize this is a, a weighty, a lengthy passage. And we just want freedom uh, tonight, Lord, we, or this afternoon. We, we want to, to take stock of what your word says um, and, and to, to take it to heart, to really connect with what your word says through your spirit. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come to work in and through us. Father, we ask that you bless us. We ask that you would glorify your son through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, the Jewish people uh, begin our passage with this question for Jesus in verse 25. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, and I hope we understand this afternoon just how important uh, this question is. Uh, it's a question that I hope many of us uh, ask in our lives. It's a question that we reflect on a lot, particularly during Easter, within the life of this church. Who is Jesus? And how we answer this question will determine everything of how it is that we live our lives each and every day. So if we think, if we think Jesus is a myth, or we think Jesus is a historical figure, maybe an important historical figure, he will most likely have no impact upon our lives. At the very best, we might take some kind of influence from his teachings, 
but much in the same way that we might be inspired by other philosophers or writers in history. But if our answer to that question is that Jesus is God, someone asks you who is Jesus and your response is this, he is God. And as God, we choose to live all of our lives under him. And we choose to recognize that it is him who died in our place. We choose to recognize that he became our substitute for all of the sin in our life so that we can then have life. If that's our answer, then that changes everything. Absolutely everything. Suddenly, his life becomes our life. Suddenly, everything of our life is seen through his reality. He is a lens from which we understand all of life. And suddenly, we can echo the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2 in verse 24. Peter says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And put your name into that passage. If you are a follower of Christ today, you can say that he himself bore my sin in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, I, I might live for righteousness. By his wounds, I have been healed. Praise God for that. I hope you can say that this afternoon. And this afternoon, as we see this question at, at the beginning of our passage, I, want, I just want to encourage us uh, as we think about this question, who is Jesus? And as we think about what's happening within the life of the church, we're going to start an Alpha course in a couple of weeks' time. This is just a very simple plug uh, for us. Uh, and we do this course recognizing that this might be for any one of us uh, this afternoon. And um, perhaps this afternoon we are in a place where we're still unsure about this question, about the answer to this question, who is Jesus? And the Alpha Course is simply, it's a welcome space. It's an open space where we can look and explore the claims of the Christian faith. So if that's you, uh, then speak to me after the service. Join us, be a part of that course. We begin on Sunday, 3rd of September, and it will continue for about 11 weeks or so. And for others of us who know and love God, I'm in absolutely no doubt today um, there are people in your life who are searching, people who are asking, maybe not this question, but questions around the meaning of life. And let me invite you to invite them uh, along to this course and pray that they would be open uh, to being a part of it and pray that God would powerfully be at work in their lives. We, we've done Alpha before and it's been amazing to see eyes opened. People have moved from darkness to light and came to a, a clearer picture of who Christ is. Uh, this week we'll have all that you need in terms of promotion, electronic uh, paper, um, and you can pass it on to those who you prayerfully consider would benefit from this course. So do be praying, uh, do be listening to God, and do have the courage to invite those who would benefit from this course. So that's an important side note uh, for us this afternoon that we find in this passage. What we're going to do is examine three verses, verse 57, 58, and 59, and we're going to ask three questions uh, of these three verses, and all of which will aid our understanding of what Jesus says here. Before Abraham was, I am. And I know for a fact, well, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty confident as, as I've read this passage many times, I still struggle with what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate. And I think in this particular moment, at this particular point in the message, we're just trying to grasp what does Jesus mean here when he says, before Abraham was, I am? So the first question, we need to begin in verse 57. And the first question is this, 
why did the people ask what they asked in verse 57? So in verse 57, they said, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham. Why did they ask this question of Jesus? Well, they asked this question because of what Jesus says specifically in the previous verse. So if you jump back to verse 56, uh, Jesus says to the Jewish people, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He, he saw it and was glad. So this leads me to another question. What was Jesus' day? What was Jesus' day? The answer to that helps us to understand this question or their question, if you get what I mean. Well, Jesus tells us in this passage about this day. His day, it was a day that God the Father glorified the Son, and it was something that everyone saw. So God the Father glorified God the Son, and everyone could see it. And it was a day that people would look at Jesus and say, he knows God, and God knows him. And Jesus says that Abraham saw this day, and he rejoiced. He was glad in having a front row seat to this day of Christ. And so it begs another question. I know there's a lot of questions here, but it begs another question this afternoon. What did Jesus mean by that? What did he mean by that? That Abraham saw this day. Did Abraham have this vision of Jesus on earth? Something that would have taken place nearly 2,000 years later. So Abraham was, was in his tent. He had a vision of Jesus. And then 2,000 years later, it came to pass. We have no reference to that in the Old Testament. It would be an argument from silence. Or is Jesus given reference to what it is we read in the story of Abraham's life? So the promise from God to Abraham that he would make his offspring into a great nation. The promise of God providing a lamb for Isaac. The promise of Abraham inheriting the world. We see something of this in Romans 4.13. I'm not sure. I think it's more of the latter than the former. What we can be certain about is that when Jesus says that Abraham saw him, he saw him in a spiritual sense, not in a literal sense. And the Jewish people did not get this. They thought he was speaking, that Jesus was speaking of being old enough to have known Abraham, to have seen Abraham, and for Abraham to have known and seen Jesus as well. Hence why they then asked the question, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham? Literally seen Abraham? This doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Now Jesus was making this claim about God glorifying him and God knowing him because the people were saying more than just he wasn't God. It was actually a lot worse than that. They believed that Jesus was part of the most hated group amongst the Jewish people. They actually believed alongside this that he was demon-possessed. So in verse 48, they say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan? We hate Samaritans. Aren't you saying, aren't we right in saying that, that you're a Samaritan and also that you have a demon? It's clear this afternoon. And asking this question and in other questions, their motivation is not to openly and honestly hear what it is that Jesus has to say. It's not like they're asking these questions and they're open to the possibility that Jesus might actually be God. No, they're asking these questions with an agenda. They want Jesus dead. They do not want to listen to the claims of Christ. These questions are preparation for a killing. Because for them to do that, for them to be open to what Jesus says and to respond to what Jesus says, would, would result in them completely changing their lives. It would come at a huge cost. 
as it comes at a huge cost for every single one of us if we choose to follow Jesus. To believe that Jesus is God would mean significant transformation and they weren't willing to change. And so they ask what they ask in verse 57 with doubt and with hatred towards Jesus. And so what follows from this? Well, Jesus says something that changes the course of the conversation. It kind of all kicks off after this. Jesus says this and, and things get tense. So the, the second question I want to ask is from verse 58. Why did Jesus give this response? As we look at verse 58, truly I tell you before Abraham was, I am. Why did Jesus say this? Uh, the Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and yet you've seen Abraham. Truly I tell you before Abraham was, I am. Why? Why did Jesus say this? Well, this statement of Christ is a loaded statement and it's the boldest statement yet. For us to understand this and to hear this, as they would have heard it, Jesus was effectively saying to everyone around him, I am the God of your scriptures. And we know this because of what we read in the Old Testament. Moses had this encounter with God and, and what it is that God says to Moses about who he is and what his name is is the clearest indication that Jesus says something that's provocative to the Jewish people. Exodus chapter 3 and verses 13 to 14, we read this. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So have this in mind. Exodus 3, verses 13 to 14. And if you jump over to Isaiah 43 and verse 10, you see something else that's important. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he says this, You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. So, very, very important we understand this this afternoon. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, his hearers immediately, ha immediately have Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, and Isaiah 43, verse 10, going off in their hearts and in their minds. They immediately know that what it is that Jesus is saying here is way more controversial than any of the other I am statements. This statement is the clearest statement from Jesus that he is in fact God. More than I am the way, the truth, and the life. More than I am the bread of life. More than I am the light of the world. More than I am the gate. More than I am the good shepherd. More than I am the resurrection and the life. More than I am the true vine. And yes, absolutely, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Jesus is clearly declaring that he is God in all seven of those I am statements. And many of those who gathered to hear him would be in no doubt that this is what he was trying to say. That he was trying to say that he was God. But with this statement this afternoon, Jesus says that the name that God uses in what is one of the most precious, one of the most powerful moments in all of scripture is his name. I am, that's me. That's who I am. And the reason why God's name in the scriptures is his name is quite simply because Jesus is God. Jesus isn't lying here. He says this not to be provocative, not to be offensive, but to be faithful. To be faithful to who he is and to who the Father has called him to. Now in Exodus 3.14, 
the phrase I am is used on three occasions. And on each of those occasions, this phrase I am can be traced back to the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh can be found in your Old Testament. So anytime you're in your Old Testament and you see capital L-O-R-D, that's the name of God, it's the name Yahweh. And this name in, in Scripture is a declaration. It's a declaration that God is, is sovereign over all. God is the sustainer of all. Uh, God is, is immutable, meaning that he is completely unchanging. With these two simple words, I am, Jesus is making a bold declaration of who he really is. So I hope we, we understand there's a weakness to what Jesus says here. And I wonder this afternoon, is this the kind of picture you have of Jesus? As you understand and as you have, have a vision of Jesus in your heart and in your mind, do you see him like this? Do you see him as a sovereign creator, sustainer, the one who knew you and loved you before the foundations of the earth, the unchanging one in your life? Do you see Jesus in that way? Or is your vision of Jesus something else, maybe a lot more domesticated, maybe diluted? Maybe you have this, this box in your heart and mind that's labelled Christianity or Jesus. And he is one of many different boxes that occupy your heart and mind. I love what Bruce Millen in his commentary in John uh, says about Jesus' claim here and how this helps us to understand who he is and also who we are as a result of who he is. So Milne writes this, He is the eternal Christ, sharing the everlasting life of the Father, the changeless Lord, who towers over history, master of time, ruler of the ages, undiminished by the passing of the centuries, the same yesterday and today and forever, Hebrews 13.8, to a generation conscious of the brevity of life, and in a culture where time is replacing money as a commodity of highest value, we feel constantly threatened by things flow. It runs through our fingers and escapes us no matter how frantically we try to fill it and hold it back. That Christ has all time in his hands. And as we rest our lives in him, our fragile, ephemeral consciousness finds meaning and permanence. He is still able to save them to the uttermost, Hebrews 7.25, all who come to God through him. Amen. Now, I want us this afternoon to really capture that image of Christ as the one who is beyond, who's outside of time, who is in complete control, not only of our lives, but of our nation, of this entire world. And I think we can so often get caught up with stuff, stuff that's going on in our lives, worries, fears, sin. And just like that quote that Millen highlights, just the, the danger is that, that we feel like our lives are are slipping through our hands and we don't have any control of what it is that we're facing, what it is we're going through, what it is that we're occupied by, what it is we're worried about. And sometimes we just have to let go, take a step back, let go and recognize not Christ is before time. Christ is sovereign overall. Christ is a sustainer of my life and of everyone's life. I can trust him in this moment. I don't need to worry. I don't need to be afraid. I have the Holy Spirit. If I have faith in Christ, I have the Holy Spirit. And he will cultivate my heart and lead me down the right path. So I wonder if that's you this afternoon. I wonder if you're going through something in your life where it feels like you don't have that control. And I would invite you to let go and to trust Christ in whatever it is you face.
It's not just that God through his son, Jesus, is great in all the ways we've mentioned. It's also that he loves you deeply as well. You know, it's one thing to say God is all powerful. He can do all these different things for us in our lives, but he also loves us. He is, he is all loving and he is all powerful. And the two go hand in hand. Because how it is that we respond to this all-powerful and all-loving God is really testimony to how we understand who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus can do for us. So if he is all-powerful and all-loving, and he absolutely is, then we can trust him to take care of our lives. just want to encourage us with that. Trust Jesus to take care of you because he is all-powerful and all-loving. And in much the same way, how these people react tell us a lot about what they understand about Jesus and, and what they understand about themselves. So how we respond tells us something. How these people respond in this passage tells us something as well. And this brings us on to the next question from our passage. Um, why do the people respond this way? In verse 59, so <clears throat> uh, they, it does kick off. They pick up stones. They're, they're ready to kill Jesus because of what he has just said. For the Jewish people, they regard what Jesus has said as, as, as blasphemy of the highest kind. Uh, blasphemy in, in its essence uh, is taking something unholy and declaring that it's holy. And they, this is how they understand Jesus, that Jesus is saying that he is holy. And yet they, their perception, their understanding that Jesus isn't holy, he's unholy. Uh, God's law in the book of Deuteronomy actually says that if someone appears and claims to be a prophet and they say, let's follow after other gods, then that prophet, prophet must be stoned to death because they have tried to turn the people away from the Lord their God. And so the people understood this and so the people responded to this, this biblical truth by picking up stones. They wanted to kill Jesus. They believed but what Jesus was doing here applied directly to what, what they read in Deuteronomy. Now, the problem for the people is that they had probably zoomed in on that particular verse in Deuteronomy, um, one that spoke of false prophets, one that spoke of blasphemy, and automatically assumed that this applied to Jesus. But in doing so, they completely forgot that the whole journey of the Old Testament and how the, the whole of the Old Testament is pointing and speaking to the fact that the Messiah will one day come. And so irony of ironies, the one they sought to kill was in fact the one who loved them and who was going to rescue them. Another question you might have in your mind this afternoon, and this is just something that kind of bugs me from time to time when I read of this account and other accounts, is how did Jesus manage to get away from the crowd in this moment? You know, these guys are picking up stones, are ready to kill Jesus. How did he get away well, we have no idea of the degree of commotion that would have taken place after Jesus had spoken these words. So you can imagine all these different guys arguing. There's, there's discussion, debate. They're picking up stones. They're furious. And it would have been easy for Jesus in the midst of that commotion to then slip away. But if you still struggle with that, as I do, then just understand this. It was simply not Jesus' time to die. Um, take note this afternoon they actually wanted to kill Jesus because of the words that he spoke. They were ready to stone him, and yet God is sovereign over all of that. It wasn't his time. Uh, when you and I 
reach others with the truth about Jesus. If you think about your week and you think about the opportunities you have, whether it's weeks past or up and coming weeks, to reach others with the truth about Jesus. When you and I speak of Jesus, when you and I make claims about Christ and claims about our lives and the difference that Christ has made to our life, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter what particular words that we might say or how it is that we say it. Unless God has already done a work in their lives, they will not be ready to stone our words and kill our testimony about Jesus in their own heart. Um, they will be ready to remove our testimony and our witness unless God has done a work within their life. It is there but for the grace of God at work that we would all be like this crowd. We would all be ready to stone Jesus apart from the grace of God at work in our lives. And so it makes the work of the Holy Spirit so vital. Uh, as we think about how it is that people respond to Jesus and towards his claims. And let me just take you back to our passage in, in verse 30. I want us just to focus in verse 30 for a moment. And just for us, us for a moment to see what happens here. Because it says that as he, that's Jesus, was saying these things. So as Jesus was making claims about himself as God. It says that many believed in him. Many believed in him. So it wasn't the case that every single person around Jesus rejected his message. There, there were those who responded in faith. Now the question is, was it them? These individuals in verse 30, was it them? Were they responsible for believing that Jesus was who he says he was? Did they, did they manage to cultivate something in their heart that led to them responding in faith and in obedience? Or was it God? Was it God? Was God, was God already at work in their lives to bring them to a point that when Jesus says what he says, something clicks, something, they connect with what Jesus says because God had already been preparing their heart for this moment. And for those who are genuinely saved, they could say, as a result of what God was doing, what Jesus said, I'm going to follow and live for this person, for this Jesus, for the rest of my life. You know, I love the connections within Scripture. And we find a similar story in Acts chapter 13. I want us just to go back and have a look at that. In Acts 13, and it's similar in a sense of how it is the people responded. The truth of who Jesus is is proclaimed in Antioch in the book of Acts. Antioch was this Gentile and Jewish community. And again, similar to John chapter 8, they responded in different ways. In Acts 13 and verse 50, we read that the Jewish people responded like this. Uh, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. So this is fascinating to see because I can see that the, the connection between Acts 13 and John chapter 8. As Jesus was persecuted and as he had to leave where he was, Paul and Barnabas were also persecuted in Antioch. And they were expelled. They had to leave as well. But similarly, as many had believed in John chapter 8 and verse 30, we also read in Acts 13 and verse 48 what God was doing before this persecution. So Paul and Barnabas faced this persecution. They were expelled. But before that, we read this in verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, that's the good news of Jesus, 
He rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So, the question I was asking earlier, is it us or is it God? When we come to faith, is it because of us or is it because of God? Well, Acts 13, 48, all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Paul and Barnabas gave testimony of Jesus and some came to faith, uh, others persecuted. Um, Jesus gave testimony. Some came to faith, others persecuted. The determining factor in both of those instances was that all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. It wasn't the responsibility of the person to, to kind of instill within themselves believing faith. It was God who was doing the work. And if it's true in Jesus' day, then it's true in our day as well. Um, it is a work of God. It is a work of God that results in people coming to saving faith. It is a work of God that resulted in you coming to saving faith. Those who God appoints to eternal life will believe. And for many of us in this room, God appointed us to eternal life. So our only response to that, it's nothing to do with us. We can't take any credit for it. Our only response can be one of thanksgiving and praise. And sometimes even that a worshipful, why God, why me? Why did you choose me over and above this person or that person. This is why we rejoice. This is why we give thanks. This is why we should have joyful faces because of all that God has done for us day after day. day, after day. As a church, we believe that the elect really are elect by God. So in light of us getting back into routines, I'm just thinking we've had June, July, August. It's been a time of kind of difference compared to like other times of the year where we have more of a routine and it feels like we're getting back into regular routines now regular connections with others this should this should give us great relief as we think about evangelism so we all have amazing opportunities to be Jesus to those who don't know Jesus and as we think about how is it God saves a person as we think about our responsibility with, with evangelism, it should bring to our hearts and our minds great relief that it ultimately it's not our responsibility to see someone come to faith. If you understand this biblical reality that it's God who brings a person to salvation, it's God who prepares a heart, it's God who leads them to hear the gospel, it's God who empowers them to respond in faith, then your role in that is not a car salesman. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've read many books and, and been to a number of courses where that's what it kind of feels like. It feels like we're called to be car salesmen. If any of you have had like a difficult experience with a car, car salesman, they almost kind of try and manipulate you and their words and, and put pressure on you to, to buy this particular car. And it just feels a bit off. It feels like it's, it's kind of human effort, a, a dominant personality trying to get someone else to do something that deep down they really don't want to do. So we are not called to be like that. We're not called to be car salesmen or car saleswomen. Instead, I would want us to think, as we think about evangelism, as we think about reaching the lost, think of yourself more of, of a celebrant at a wedding, someone who officiates a wedding. 
Um, if you think of a wedding, um, I was saying this morning, Andrew um, did a wedding last week, so and TJ has done weddings before, so he'll know what I'm talking about. But when you marry a couple, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's only two of us in this room who have married couples, um, but when you marry a couple, um, you pretty much know that it's a done deal. Um, you would be concerned if, if that was kind of 50-50 even, or even 60-40. Um, unless you're in some kind of movie where the bride runs away, um, you're not there to convince the other person, each, each of the people, that they should marry the other. Um, you're sealing the deal, essentially. Uh, so much has went on before that moment. So much. That means it's pretty much guaranteed that as you officiate that wedding, they will be married. And in the same way, when you lead someone to the Lord, God has already been at work within their heart in so many different instances, in so many different ways. And often in ways that they are completely unaware of, God is at work by His Spirit preparing them for the moment you declare that you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and you want them to have what you have. Uh, and God might use you as you are led by the Spirit to be the officiator of that particular wedding. Instead of a horizontal one, it's a vertical one. You're bringing this person to Christ. Um, and I feel led to share that this afternoon because uh, this week is, is such an important week within the life of the church. We, we're kind of starting our routines. We're, we're getting back, as I mentioned already, we're, we're doing the football ministry. We teach English on a Tuesday. We do an English Bible study on a Wednesday. We're starting the Alpha course in two weeks' time. And in all these areas, <clears throat> we are going to be declaring before Abraham was, I am. We're going to be declaring that Jesus was who he says he was. Jesus is God. And I'm really excited about what God's going to do in the next four months. What he has planned. And I hope you are excited as well. I hope you're expectant. And, you know, when we're doing the football, Samuel and I are going to be doing the football. We're not going to, tomorrow, we're not going to come up with some crafty football analogy about how, how it is they can meet Jesus. Um, we're not doing, with Esau on Tuesday and, and the Bible, Esau Bible study on Wednesday, it's not some cool and creative English lesson that's going to bring them to faith in Christ. It's not going to be through some killer alpha video that's going to change someone's life. All of these things... All of these platforms are just a means to an end. Only God can determine. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we just need to be open to the Spirit. We just need to be led by the Spirit. We just need to be obedient to the Spirit as He is at work in our lives. So it is so, so, so important that we are a people who are filled with the Spirit, that we take time to dig into His Word every day. We spend time in prayer. We spend time listening to what it is God is saying to us so that we can pray in line with God's will. Um, I want us to be praying this week. We're going to do this in a moment. We're going to pray for six people in particular who are going to be essentially on the front line when it comes to these areas I mentioned, football, Esau, uh, and Alpha. Um, we want to pray for Claire, uh, for Jeremy, for Callum, for Andy, for our two new interns, one of whom is coming this week, for Grayton and for Bree. Um, and my prayer for these guys is that they would know with all that they are that it has nothing to do with them. Um, as we think about being on mission in these areas, 
It is God at work in them. And they would have these precious, powerful times with God outside of the mission field. And he is already at work in their hearts, preparing them for the people they're going to encounter. So we're going to do that in a moment. We're going to pray for these guys. Uh, and, yeah, just as we think about that, I mean, for Callum's here, but you guys are, you guys essentially are going to be officiators at numerous weddings, hopefully, God willing, from September through to December. Uh, so just have that in mind as you serve in these areas. Andy's here as well. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about Esau in particular because we, we do an Esau on Tuesday and Wednesday. Esau on Tuesday, it's just a kind of general English class. But there's a moment in that class where we, we declare the gospel and say, this is who Christ is. This is the difference he's made to our lives. It's only a few minutes, but it, sometimes it results in kind of follow-up conversation. And it also leads people to then come along to the next day, to Wednesday, we saw Bible study. So hopefully we'll see this as well at Alpha. Andy's going to be involved in, and at football as well. But this is not just for, for these six guys I've mentioned. Uh, this is for all of us, every single one of us, each one of us who knows the Lord, because we can all look ahead in our, in our minds to September, October, November, December, and we will have countless, countless opportunities to connect with lost people. And that's essentially what they are. They're lost. And my invitation to you is to be so in tune with God that he will put people in your path so that you might be Jesus to them. That you'll be the right person at the right moment with the right word for those that you connect with. So let's pray for that this morning, this afternoon as well, that, that we would look at the entirety of our lives and we would see it as a mission field, a great opportunity. And their reaction is their reaction. As we see in this passage, they might in their hearts stone our words or they might embrace our words. Next week, Neil's going to be looking at this idea of, of what Jesus says in John 15. I am the vine and you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So remain in him. And that's, that's mission, being empowered by God to then be a light. Um, finally, let me just pray for any one of us this afternoon who has no desire to be on mission. And I think that's true of all of us, too, if we're honest. Like sometimes mission is not even on our radar, on our agenda. So we're not going into our work. We're not connecting with our family. We're not speaking to our neighbors. And we're not thinking how it is that we can be Christ to them. <clears throat> so let's pray for that this afternoon as well. Let's pray that God would convict our heart and that he would fill us with a love for those who are lost. But the reality is we constantly need to realign our hearts back to God and his mission. So let's do that this afternoon. And this afternoon, maybe perhaps you have yet to make a conscious decision to follow Jesus. Uh, and let me just encourage each one of us this afternoon. Our reaction does not need to be like that of the crowd today. We can drop our stone and we can run into his arms and he is ready to receive us. Are you willing to do that today? Let me invite you to come to Jesus. Uh, and I'll be here. We're going to have tea and coffee after our, our service. There's going to be time to be able to chat, to pray. So, so do speak to myself uh, or someone else who loves the Lord. And we would count it a privilege to walk with you in that. Um, maybe uh, you're struggling with just something that's going on in your life. And again, do not miss out uh, on this time. Um, people often think Sunday services, church, 
is about putting on your best version, putting on this, this front, this facade, and telling everyone that you're fine. But if you're struggling today, then, then do speak with us, um, and we'll pray for you. And maybe you're, you're sick, unwell, maybe you have a pain. Um, we believe in the God who can heal, who does heal. Uh, and we would pray for you today. We would give it to God and trust that he is sovereign over what it is that you're facing. So do speak with us if you would like prayer for healing. And this afternoon we also come to the table and, and we recognize our hope. Our hope is if we love the Lord today, we can come to this table and there's a joy in our hearts. Man, I, I get to come to this table. I get to take this bread. I get, it's not I have to. Often we can, we can do that. I have to do this. no. I get to. I come to this table and praise God. I take this bread and I thank I thank him for the fact that he gave his body for me. And I come to this table and I take this cup and praise God that Jesus shed his blood for me. By his wounds I am healed. Praise God for that. Praise God that we can come to this table and that we can do that. Count it a privilege that we can do that. Count it a privilege that we live in a country where we are not in fear of persecution. There are countries where are believers in context where if they were to do this in this public setting, they would face the prospect of imprisonment, even death. Praise God we have the opportunity to do that. So let's do that today. If we love the Lord, come to this table. If you don't love the Lord, or you're maybe still on a journey, you're still trying to work out, do I believe that Jesus is God? Is he Lord of my life? If you're still trying to work that out in your head, I would invite you not to come to this table, but to instead observe and to even pray and ask God, what does it mean to follow you? That'll be my invitation if that's yourself. So let's come to this table. Let's rejoice. Samuel's going to lead us in a few songs of worship. Let's make the most of this time. We're going to sing two more songs, but let's give it loudy. You know, let's... People can be walking by and, and they'll hear our voices. Not because we're, we're not singing for the sake of singing and being loud. We're singing because our God really is great and he has done so much for us. And we want to sing and rejoice of who he is, both now all the way into eternity for his glory. What a challenge. What a savior. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank you that, that we can take this time uh, to seek your face and to worship you. And we just thank you that, that we now have this opportunity to come to this table and to take this bread and drink this cup. And we rejoice in the fact that, that you loved us so much that you died for us. And we do not want to take that for granted, Lord. We, we want to, to treasure what is such a precious moment. It's a precious moment for us to behold that, that bread and to take that cup and to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done for me. And Lord, we, we do want to pray for Claire, for Callum, for Jeremy, for Andy, for Gretchen, for Bree. Lord, we, we pray for, for each of these individuals. We pray that you would protect them. Lord, I pray that they would do all things with excellence as they serve in these areas. That you would empower them by your Holy Spirit. That you would work in their life. And, and Lord, that, that they might see the fruit of salvation. Holy Spirit, would you do that work? Would you bring people to a knowledge of Jesus? We, we commit these individuals to you and we pray for those who are going to be connecting. Um, Lord, we ask that they would be open, that you would be preparing their hearts so that it, it does 
feel like these, a, a countless array of, of seamless marriage ceremonies where we are acting as a celebrant. And Lord, we, we pray for those in our lives who don't know you and we pray even for tomorrow and the opportunities we have to, to connect with those who don't know you and we ask um, that you would bless them, that you would be at work in them and that you would guide us in the ways in which we can be Christ to them. Lord, I pray that you would convict us if we have no desire to be on mission for you. I pray that you would replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh and that you would soften us to such a degree that that, that is our priority in life. Our priority is your glory and your mission and nothing else would matter. So Lord, help us as we now respond in these ways, both today and going into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.